welcome to Teachers Care Society, the podcast that talks about all news and development in the educational field. We have a good show for you today as I'm joined by Madeline Bradburn, a fourth grade teacher from Southern California, as we'll be discussing educational technology and the future of classrooms reimagined. We will also be discussing inequalities when it comes to distance learning. So without further ado, let's jump in. Welcome back. Our first guest for today is Madeline Bradburn, a fourth grade teacher from Southern California. He also has a YouTube and Instagram, florals and teaching. And so Madeline, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Are you balancing life during the pandemic? Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm doing well, just taking everything one day at a time. I've definitely been trying to balance work with things that bring me some happiness during this crazy time. Um, I just try to really, I try really hard not to work long into the night hours, which is definitely easier said than done. I also try to do little things that make me happy, like talk to my parents, friends, watch a show, read my Bible, or just have some cuddle time with my dog. <laughs> yeah. Cuddle dog uh, with the dog is important. Yeah. Um, so from my understanding, you have a master's in educational technology, which I can only assume has been a huge advantage during distance learning. Does having this master's degree in educational technology make you the go-to person at your school? It definitely does. My friend and coworker actually was in the ed tech program before me and inspired me to join her. So she's in a coaching position at my site. So some people do tend to go to her first. However, since I do have a classroom with students, they do like to come to me for lesson ideas or just to see what's been working for me, what hasn't been working, kind of just to pick my brain in that perspective. In the beginning of the school year, I was getting a lot of texts from my coworkers just to get help from our LMS system with Schoology since some had never used it before and I had been using it years before we even went on to distance learning. But now that everyone has become accustomed to it, I think that they have gotten more comfortable. So I don't hear from them as much, but they do like to come to me for ideas. So basically they have you on speed dial. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> sometimes. So from my understanding, you also taught distance learning during the summer and did this sort of prepare you for returning to this fall with distance learning or did you just only add more stress for the school year? It helped so much. Um, although the schedule was much more relaxed over the summer than it currently is, I definitely felt more prepared giving the live lessons online to students that I'd never met before. I was used to recording most of my lessons on screencasts and just doing a weekly check-in that was live when we went distance learning in the spring. So I was really nervous for that aspect. So thankfully, summer school did help me feel more prepared. And then from summer school, what do you think the biggest takeaways you had? And, um, you know, from my understanding, I think it was a, you said it was short. It was only four weeks, right? Was it yeah. hard building like a rapport or even a schedule with the students over, you know, such a short period of time? Right. That was my biggest fear was not being able to build those relationships online. But teaching summer school quickly showed me that it is still possible if we actually take those opportunities to learn about our students and also give them a chance to learn more about you. So yes, it was only four weeks. We were able to thankfully build those connections. I would incorporate a lot of social emotional learning lessons in the beginning of our day. 
And I just tried to reassure my students throughout that time that I was a support system for them. The schedule was more relaxed, like I mentioned, but it wasn't too difficult. We only taught live lessons for an hour a day. And the rest of the day was devoted to asynchronous work. Mm, okay. All right. That doesn't sound too bad because, you know, when yeah. I first saw the, the four weeks, that's, uh, that's shorter than a summer college course. Right, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's jump into our first topic. So educational technology and where to start. So if you have the option of choosing your learning management system or LMS for short, then I would definitely start off by looking to see what each LMS has to offer. So look at the learning needs of your students and what you hope to achieve with LMS. For example, I teach CK1 special education and I don't recommend Google Classroom, but I mean, we're using it. And I would instead choose something else a little bit more intuitive and more interactive like Seesaw, which is primarily catered for the K through five. However, the downfall with Seesaw is they don't have like an integrated video conferencing and that's the downfall as well. I also like how Seesaw has a native app, um, which makes it easier for, for my students, especially since it can be used on a touchscreen, on an iPad or even on a phone. Um, and it's even easier to log in instead of going through some kind of website portal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the great benefit about it, about having an app is, like I said, having the touchscreen on the, on the tablets. And if you think about kindergartners and first graders trying to navigate on a Chromebook, and you can imagine how hard it is them using the keyboard or even the small mouse pad. And so trying to work on those fine motor skills like that can be quite difficult. Mm-hmm. So that's why I choose something like Seesaw where it's all touchscreen. Now, Madeline, I know you've used them all. And what important factors do you look at when deciding which LMS to use? So I'll be honest, I didn't get to choose this LMS that we're using. Um, my district adopted Schoology, so we are required to use it. There have been lots of times where I just wanted to try Google Classroom because that's what everyone else was using and they said how easy it was. But I also didn't want to be too out of the loop with what my district was using. I've been using Schoology for a few years just as an additional resource in my classroom to integrate technology in a meaningful way. Sometimes I'll integrate other tech tools into Schoology if it's something that isn't already provided within the LMS. So far this school year, I've only stuck to Schoology because they really have made some improvements in the assessments that I normally would go seek out other tools for, like CESA I used a lot last year. I've always been a huge fan of Flipgrid, but now Schoology has a video recording feature, so it kind of saves me an extra step. I'll be honest, I'm also a little nervous to introduce new tech tools over the computer (laughs) to 29 students. Uh, Whereas in the classroom, I was always introducing new things. So that is a huge difference with the new platform that we're in right now. Overall, I do look for what is simplest to utilize and integrate if it's not already within Schoology itself. But I also want it to be engaging for the students so that they're excited to do the work. Yeah, I do like the part about uh, being nervous introducing you know new technology to twenty nine students. Yes. And it's not like uh, it's not like we have like you know, the Amazon live support chat where they can get mm-hmm. oh, yeah. agents twenty four seven to help you out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> <But> scary. The, <laughs> yeah, so the, the second factor I actually look for in educational technology is the, the ease of integration and compatibility. And this ties in with the previous one because sometimes certain websites don't load correctly um, on certain browsers. I know I've had this issue when 
I tried doing a lesson with GoFormative and ClassKick. And since my students have tablets, it just wasn't able to load correctly on a Safari website. So that was that was a big disappointment there. And this also led me to the decision of using educational tools that have native apps where I know it won't fail me because the app is you know, integrated right there in the, in the device. Mm-hmm. And some tools that I can think of like this are Nearpod, Deck and you know, GoInformative have excellent, excellent ease of integration with other resources where you can embed and add content uh, with a link to other resources. And you know, big shout out to Nearpod for now having that uh, that Zoom integration with it. Mm. So that's nice. Um, and then also something that might not be a deal breaker for for me, but can be a, a big deal breaker for others is having that that single sign in option where it's the same sign-in username or email or password for whatever learning management system they're using, whether it's the same login credentials for Google, Squalogy, or or Microsoft. And I see why educators like this because this feature makes it easy for students and families to log in. They don't have to remember another password, another login. And so it's, it's easy, just a one click and they're in. So mm-hmm. Madeline, for you, how, how important is this integration and compatibility with other resources? So important. It just makes our life so much easier. I use the Google integration in Schoology for almost every single assignment that I create for my students. It's really mm-hmm. frustrating when something isn't compatible that you really wanted to use with them just because it's an additional step or many steps to show it to your class in person or online. I also do appreciate the single sign-in, as you said, because it is hard for kids to memorize those long logins. It's also not a really big deal breaker for me because I used to have my students memorize their login credentials when I used to check out the Chromebook cart before we became a one-to-one district. So I do know that they are able to. I know my friends in the lower elementary grades really love it because their students struggle with those long logins. What is really cool is that our district uses ClassLink, which basically stores all of the student usernames and passwords for everything that they use. Since they do have a different login for Schoology, Google, STMath, Lexia, everything has a different login. So it does make it a lot more helpful that it just stores all of that for them. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I know, and then I know it's not a deal breaker for either of us, but even when I'm introducing new technology and it's time for me to create, you know, the login and credentials, I mm-hmm. just I use the same exact credentials they did for their for their learning management system, so that yeah. way they don't have to memorize something new. And right. I don't know, there's there's also clever, which is nice, where it's a badge, and essentially they just they show the camera the the badge to the camera of the tablet or the Chromebook, and then it automatically logs them in with that. So I think that's pretty. Oh, okay. And so then even with all these educational uh, resources, you know, being great and they could be very intuitive and compatible with other resources. I think there is another factor that is often overlooked and that is data collection. So mm-hmm. ideally I would want to look for uh, a tech that neatly gathers and organizes the data for me. Um, sign kind of similar with a single sign in option. Because with the single sign-in option, then after the lesson's over or after the student completes the task and these reports that are associated with that student's login info, they usually have access to that because they get a copy sent to themselves along with a copy sent to me. And I love resources like this that gather as much information as possible, including the attempts, the, the latency, or how long it took them to work on each problem, um, once they got wrong, multiple attempts, and some of them even record their screen movement when they're doing tasks such as matching or clicking and dragging. 
And then the list goes on. And there are quite a number of resources that track all this data. First one I can think of off the top of my head is uh, Boom Cards and Luma One. And it's, it's a big time saver having a platform that saves all this data for me as opposed to me having to take it by hand, which is still important. But yeah. even through distance learning progress, uh, monitoring skills, mo- monitoring skills, skills are still very important. And some teachers have to be creative when doing this. And so if we have ed tech that is able to do this, then, you know, we I appreciate these formal assessments. It's nice knowing that when students complete these assignments, we know how long they spent on it and we have all this data so we can better cater to their learning needs. And the best thing about these reports is that students and families can track on their own, their own progress. They don't have to wait for me to to ask, like, what did I get on the grade? How am I doing? They can log in and see, oh, okay, I got a 90%. Oh, okay, I'm still missing this assignment. It's it's real nice having teaching students how to track their own grades and on their own progress. So with this being said, like, Madeline, can you imagine having these, like, great resources but not having... Anything that like tracks progress monitoring, does, what does that mean for you? I really couldn't imagine that because it, it's kind of been what's the point of using it. What I learned in my master's program was definitely technology is awesome and you should use it, but it shouldn't be meant for meaningful purposes. It's not just meant for all the time. So using these LMS systems, it's so important to have the data. Keeping track of data is so important, but especially now more than ever, it's literally all we have to go on, especially if we haven't met our students in person. So we don't have a lot of anecdotal data from what we see in the classroom per se. And some of them are super shy on camera. So really the data and what they're doing for their assignments is all we have to go on for how they're doing. Um, so especially, sorry, I like to include the learning targets that Schoology provides. It lets us put in what standards will be met with each assignment. So it does help me see if students have mastered it or not, which is super helpful with parent conferences or any kind of data meetings that we have. I also love, like you mentioned, being able to see how long students take on, a, on an assignment. If they didn't get a good score, but I see they only took it for one minute, um, (laughs) they probably just wanted to get it done um, and maybe didn't take it so seriously. And when I tell them that I can see how long it takes them, I notice next time they do take longer, which helps me and it helps them. (laughs) But I also love how in the assessments on Schoology, you can use something called image highlight. So I can put in a worksheet like a math drill that I use and it lets me see where what problems they solved. It visually replays the screen for me, which is so helpful um, because I can see what problems they may solve first, which ones are skipped, which really helps me understand what facts they may need extra help on. I do know some of my coworkers don't necessarily like grading options for every single assignment, but sometimes I even like it just to show that they completed work, which is also data that can be utilized. Yeah, I think it's always funny when when students uh, are generally shocked that, <laughs> that you know, like, oh, they, 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 they're shocked when we find out how long they took uh, on a yeah. problem. And, and so it's always, always, always mind boggling for them. And I always mm-hmm. say, yep, yeah, we, we know everything we watch. Exactly. Um, and then I know also like with the grading system, sometimes I, for some of these like learning management systems, I like having like an open option where it doesn't grade it, but it just, it, it checks off that mark. So, oh, they completed it. And I come back yeah. and grade it at a, at a later time because you know, students answer different ways. Mm-hmm. So that's something I got to take into consideration. So then, 
The last factor that I look at is customization. And what this means is I want to be able to customize these ed tech resources as much as I can to better cater the, the learning styles and needs of my students. And also so that I can align it with my my teaching style, my personality. And I like being able to swap out questions, templates, format as much as I can. Um, kind of like if I were in a classroom, I could design the classroom however I want to. Mm-hmm. You know, we know one size doesn't fit all. And and what I mean by customization is also changing the student's response capabilities, um, whether it's I want them to respond through audio, image, video, or you know, text response. And this is a great way of you know, differentiating the, the lesson plans. And I have students of all different abilities. And when they have the platform to express and showcase their mastery of the content, and this is great. I, I like I like them expressing it however they feel comfortable. And I know some teachers, they don't want too many complex customization because it can confuse both the teachers and the students. And the students are you know, left wondering, wait, what do I do? How do I do this? But yeah. This is something I totally understand and I totally agree with it. But I like having the creativity for myself and the students. Um, but, you know, just because I can't doesn't mean I'll change every single thing. Sometimes I do mm-hmm. like the, the templates or the format that some of these learning systems come with. And I just utilize it to the best I can. For you, do you like having the capabilities of customization or customizing everything? Or do you just like whatever is already available and just adding your name onto it and using it like that? I do like having the option to customize and then be able to decide if I would like to go that route or to just accept whatever provided template there is. Sometimes I prefer customization a little too much where I sometimes completely recreate things. Um, so that is something <laughs> I'm working on. Um, but I do like sometimes spicing up how students submit their work because I don't want them to be bored either, whether that be through Google Docs, slides, a picture, video recording, however, like you said, they be able to be creative and to explain their answer, however, is more comfortable for them. I also tend to recreate my whatever I use with slides that have been provided to me, sometimes by coaches or things like that, or even within the LMS system. But I'll change them just because I want them to look cuter or to have the same theme as the rest of whatever I'm using. Um, But sometimes I just leave it as is and call it a day. It's kind of just like, how much time do I really want to spend recreating something when I could just take what's been given to me? So it kind of just depends on what the task is. Yeah, I mean, and then even to all those teachers who like say, oh, I don't have the time to customize or change yeah. everything. That's fine. You know, take take what's given to you. Take this platform. It's meant for, you know, it's meant for this to, mm-hmm. you know, for, for educators. And so definitely take advantage of that. And I like EdTech that like has a library of ready to go templates or ready to go lessons. And especially for on the fly activities or even informal assessments. But for me, even customizing, customizing the, the platform to get rid of features is another great example. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I don't want students to have all these extra features uh and so even even like something like turning off chat during specific parts of my lesson plan where i don't want kids chatting while i'm trying to teach something and you know you can see where that leads to and oh yes <laughs> yes yeah, so, granted I, I don't have these features turn off all the time i do want them to engage i do want them to talk with each other but just sometimes i, I want them to focus on me and not have those side conversations mm-hmm. um, so kind of like think of it in the classroom when you want to explain the next set of directions 
and the students are, are still drawing, are still writing those final answers, are still browsing the web on the Chromebook. And so mm-hmm. they're not paying attention. So this is how I would utilize turning off certain features. Um, is this the same thing with you? Do you, when you introduce new tech, do you, do you allow them to explore on their own or do you just teach the basics and move on? Typically, I do like to give my students time to explore just so that they can see what features are available. I also turn off the chat. <laughs> Google didn't have it before. So recently in their update, they did um, include that so that we could turn the chat off. So I have also been doing that in certain times of the <laughs> lesson because like you said, they will sometimes not even talk about what's going on in the lesson. So at that point, I'm like, okay, you've taken advantage of this feature. I'm going to pause it for a little bit and then I'll turn it back on when I want that extra input. Um, but I do personally like to give students exploration time, especially when we're in the classroom. I usually introduce a lot more tech than I have been over the over virtual learning. I personally learn best by doing, so I do like to provide those same opportunities for my students as well. During distance learning, that has been hard because our time together is so limited as it is. And so to then just know that your whole lesson is going to be gone if you take the whole time to devote (laughs) to showing them something new, sometimes it's kind of like you have to decide what day is best to do that. I did introduce manual breakout rooms in Google Meet last week, and my students loved it. They had been begging to work together during whole group time. And I didn't know how to roll it out properly because before I said, oh, sure, unmute and work together. And that I quickly regretted because they were all (laughs) talking over each other. And so my district doesn't really want us using Zoom, which I know already has the breakout session or breakout room feature. And then we can't really use certain extensions that Google Meet has. So I literally made nine additional Google Meet codes for them to work in. It was a lot of prep, but it was really good because they had so much fun. A lot of preparation went into it. I told them, I said, I'm going to try to be super patient, but I need you to be super patient as well because I'm doing this for you. You've been wanting to work in smaller pods. So we're going to try it out. So I went into it very prepared for issues as I do anytime I introduce new technology to students. And I let my students know that it's okay if we have some issues, we just work through them. But they did such a good job, which just shows me that they do want to learn new things with technology. We just have to devote that time for them. Um, But we also learned some things that needed to be tweaked for the next time. But exploration is super important because that's how we learn how things work. I like the idea how you have you know, the chat and then taking that away because it could be seen as a privilege and it could be something that, you know, they could work towards you because, you know, letting them know, like, I'm going to allow this, but, you know, if it gets out of hand, I'll take Mm -hmm. it away. And then that that really puts them in the mindset, like, oh, darn, I really, I should be paying attention. (laughs) The teacher's serious. It's time to get to work. So with that being, yeah. So with with that being said, let's let's jump into our next topic. And that's about distance learning not being exclusive to those who can only afford technology. So we know that everyone, not everyone has access to reliable internet. And this was really put in the spotlight back in spring when the world transitioned all of a sudden to distance learning. And we really became aware of this type of marginalization and it's still not fixed. I know my school tried to prepare for it this fall by trying to offer families Hotspots, those who didn't have access, but there are still other factors that, that many people in the household would take advantage of, or like, you know, a lot of people would be using the hotspot all at once and even things, maybe even the location of the hotspot or families live 
in a cramped building or with thick walls that interfere with a signal. There's a lot of other factors that we just have no control. Mm-hmm. And I know the district, my district, tried to prepare for this as much as possible by even ordering more Chromebooks or more tablets or just more devices. But I just, there's lots of things that last year, the school district I worked at, they tried to limit to just one device per family because they didn't have enough. And so those siblings in the same household had to share. And so you can really mm-hmm. see the flaws with that. And internet access was supposed to be seen as an absolute necessity, but we know that we want to use it as a form of instruction, communication, and even as a form of transportation. I can say that even whether it's synchronous or asynchronous, live or pre-recorded lessons, um, there's just a lot of flaws of we don't have, they don't have that technology. And then the communication becomes, there's fault in there. And because of that, then I'm not able to communicate with the families. I'm not able to send scores, documents, stuff to get signed. And you can see all these errors. And I even use it as a transportation because this is the way students could virtually, you know, transport from their class, from their room to my virtual classroom. Mm-hmm. So even as a transportation for even virtual field trips, uh, you know, even as a virtual field trip to our school library as a digital library. And so the list goes on. Have you seen inequalities with those who have access to reliable internet? Oh, for sure. This has been really tough. Thankfully, our site and our district in general has been blessed with one-to-one devices for third through fifth grade for two years now. And our district was able to get kindergarten through second grade their own devices at the beginning of this year when distance learning was announced. That's how we were going to start the year off. So our district is one-to-one for certain grade levels normally. So for elementary, it normally starts in third grade. I think in middle school, it'll start in sixth grade and then ninth grade. So they try to start around those upper grade levels. But now with distance learning, we were able to get devices for all grades. But like you mentioned, we did have students having to share devices with siblings when the closures first began. And so that was really hard. Um, a lot of the teachers at the time, it wasn't obviously wasn't super planned with a schedule like we are right now. So the teachers were able to decide when we were doing our Google Meets. And so sometimes they would overlap and the kids couldn't use the device when they needed it. So it was really just a huge mess. Um, So what I've been seeing now is definitely the issues with the internet and hotspots also. Some of my students do seem to have strong internet connections. Um, Others say that I'm constantly glitching or I can see them visually logging out, logging back in. And I know it's, it's because that it's affected by their internet. Um, So they do that so they can hear me better, which of course means that they could miss something depending on how long they're gone for. So the inequality then becomes that some of my students have the full lessons with my explanations, while others have missed majority of the lesson, don't know what to do, missed instructions, all because of their internet connection. Uh, Another inequality that I've noticed, not necessarily internet related, but it is affecting a lot of my students is just having a quiet place to work, which I never imagined would be such an issue. Some students have just themselves to worry about. So they have a quiet place to work, no distractions. Others go to a daycare where there's lots of loud kids. And when they unmute, it's so loud. I don't even know how they can hear me (laughs) and what I'm saying because I can't hear what they're saying. So it's a really sad reality that I never thought my students would have to endure. But that is what we're experiencing right now. So then what do you do in that case? How do you combat this digital divide? 
I do reach out to parents just to verify that there was an internet issue because I don't want there to be any miscommunications. I mean, I do work with nine and 10 year olds that sometimes may want to try to get one by and I've seen it before. So I just like to make sure with parents, like just to verify there was an internet issue. So once they've confirmed it, which normally they do, thankfully, I do try to provide my students with everything that I can. I'll upload the Google Slides that I use during the live lessons onto Schoology every single day. That way, whether they're absent or they had to be logged out during a certain time, they can go back and look through the slides and see what was missed. I'm also available 30 minutes after class, as well as office hours for questions. Um, I can also, uh, I, oh, sorry. I also tell students that they can message me on Schoology for help and I'll answer them. Something that I've been noticing just in this recent week, some of my students have shared that they need help with homework, but it's usually not till later after my office hours are already gone. So then they don't know, they have no one else to help them at home. So I always feel bad because then it's kind of that teacher guilt of like, you don't want (laughs) to go working too much past your contract hours, but then you feel bad because the students don't have anyone to help them. So it's like a tug that I'm experiencing right now. But I do tell them to still message me on Schoology. If I'm working, I will answer them. And if not, we'll deal with it the next day. I try to let them know that it's nothing to stress out about. Like, I'm the support system for you. I'm here for you. I don't want you to worry too much about it. But they also need to put that effort in to want to get their work done and want to find out what was missed. Because I do have those that don't really mind (laughs) not knowing what they missed. So it is hard to say that I can only do so much from afar, but it is the truth. And it's really hard to bridge the gap of that digital divide by myself with my 29 kids. But I know my district is doing everything they can. They reach out to those families that are having a harder time than others to provide them with those resources. Um, They see who is having internet issues. They try to help them where they can. We provided the hotspots as well, but at the same time, the district can only provide so much. So it's really hard, but we just try to be flexible with each other. You, you bring up a good point about students who aren't able to participate in the class or turn in assignments because of ed tech related issues. And I like how you said you make the effort knowing that you're not upset up them um, because it's not their fault. They they want Mm -hmm. to participate, but it's not their fault. And so that's a really good point that that you bring up. Thank you. And I have some statistics. If we were to look at Wyoming, there's a recent study that indicated about only 30% of rural Wyoming students have access to reliable high-speed broadband internet. And so you can see where the issue is with this. Uh, my school, my, the university I attend had something like this, but they combated it by installing more Wi-Fi routers and signal boosters throughout the school to help students access internet who didn't have internet at home. They could still attend the campus and be socially distanced and take advantage of, uh, of the internet. And so mm-hmm. if we go back to the Wyoming case, the, the saddest part of the survey was that from Manifest who did the survey was that they found about 71% of high schools and university students were already anticipating lower grades because of unreliable internet. And now all of a sudden, yes, students are already struggling with school and now not having reliable internet only just widens this learning gap. Like with problems like this throughout the world, like what kind of wake up, wake up call is this? Who's this wake up call for? It's such a big wake up call, I think, for everyone. It was something my coworkers and I were somewhat aware of. We never would make internet 
involved homework super mandatory when we were in person, just because some of my students would tell me I don't have internet at home. So if we had anything like STMAP or Lexia, I would make it optional, but I would also know who they were and I would provide that time for them in class. I didn't truly understand to what degree that it was until this happened and something as impactful as a time as this. It really was a huge wake up call, literally. Um, This was a wake up call for teachers, administration and district officials. And I also don't think parents realized how their internet connection would strongly affect students' success in school, especially during distance learning. Students don't have the access to come all the time. Just because they have these devices, some of them have more devices than I do. But if they don't have the internet to support it, then it's not going to work. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And when people hear about problems like this, about internet, I know most people think of like, oh, just why not have the local government step in and give the people better, more reliable internet? Well, mm-hmm. it turns out it's a lot more complicated than that. Um, it turns out the municipal broadband is a roadblock or outlawed in 22 states. So you have states like Alabama, Virginia, and Wisconsin that have the most type of restrictions in place that prevent local governments from coming in and providing subsidized internet to those in need. And fun fact, Arkansas is in California and Connecticut were the most recent states uh, to repeal their municipal broadband bans in 2019. Hmm. Now, do you know if your students have reliable internet? And I mean, do you have reliable internet at your house? I can tell who has the reliable internet just from our daily live Google Meet sessions. The students who are constantly logging in and out, who are freezing, who say I'm glitching, but nobody else is seeing it. They're the ones with the unreliable internet. If I see students who are having no complications at all, I just assume that they have good internet and that it's reliable for them. Thankfully, my internet has been pretty reliable for this fall session of school. There was one week during summer school that it completely stopped working. It was super random. (laughs) And of course, since everyone's working at home, a technician couldn't even come for a whole week. So Mm. I was, I'm thankfully blessed to live super close to my parents. So I would just go to their house and teach my one hour a day and then stay available for questions that students or parents may have had. And then I would come back. Well, I'd probably stay there a little longer to enjoy their internet. But um, I did. I have. I had that luxury. But if I didn't have that option, I'm not sure where I would have gone with the the fall fall school session. I do know that if we have issues with our home internet currently, uh, we have the option to go into our classrooms to use the school internet. So that is nice to know we have a backup. I didn't have that during summer school. So it's nice to know that it's there for distance learning in this, in the fall. Wow. And then, you know, that's, that's great that you have, I mean, I, I work from my school, but I know not every school has the luxury of doing that. So. Mm-hmm. But there are also costs on teachers who spend their own money to buy what, you know, necessary equipment to have this distance learning. So things like microphone headset, a webcam, even faster internet, a router, a booster, their own printer, ink, all these things. So even just, I have a, a teacher friend who had to buy a better chair because she was sitting all day on this uncomfortable chair. And so mm-hmm. these, all these costs. Does, did your district provide a lot of resources for you? My district provided my Microsoft tablet, but it, I've already had it for four years. So it wasn't a new resource given. 
Um, I also use my document camera that comes from my school site. This year, we were given a second device to help us use for live sessions. And sadly, it was really slow when I was going into the classroom. When we started the year off, I was going there three days a week. So I kept that second device at school. And it was really slow. It was slower than my tablet, which I thought was older than it. So it wasn't very reliable. During distance learning, I bought so many things for myself. Just... (laughs) I don't know if necessarily my district would have provided for it. I don't necessarily, I'm not the type of person to ask, Hey, are you going to provide this? So I kind of just do it and then see if they offer later. I did buy a new computer as my main device for all the live teaching and planning. My personal MacBook was slowing down. The tablet was slowing down. So I just bought a new computer. Like you mentioned about your friend with the chair, I've been in so much pain (laughs) from sitting all day. So I finally just got a standing desk. And it's I did have one at school that my principal provided for me, but it wasn't wide enough to have all of these devices. So I did get one for myself. And I do notice a huge difference. But unfortunately, that did have to come out of my own finances. Um, just because there's so many things I don't think we realized would be necessities from distance learning. So I don't know if it was necessarily thought about. But I do use the school-provided devices for everyday use, but it's not my main source of what I use for my distance learning. I I always find it uh, funny with my my teacher friend who ended up buying the... The, the better chair. So on, on day one, her desk was, was pretty empty. It was just the laptop that the school district gave to her. And then yeah. all of a sudden, like week eight, it looks like a, like a gamer's like a game yeah. set. And they have all these like <laughs> devices on it. I'm like, wow, this is, uh, you really, uh, you know, you really I, took uh, all this distance learning and all this. Tech. So true. And if, if we add, if we were to add, so adding race into the digital divide, then we also have black and Hispanic families who are far less likely than white people to own a computer or even just have access to high speed internet. And I still have families at my school who do not have functioning devices provided by the school because our school ran out of devices. And so our families are just using their smartphones and <laughs> At first, I was wondering what was going on during these video conferences because I have these kids, their eyeballs like right up to the, to the I'm like, what are they doing? What's going on? And then, you know, I figured out that these families are using their own, own mobile devices. And well, guess, you know, if we look at you know, the data even more, then we know that lower income households rely more on smartphones for accessing internet with 26% having only smartphones um, for, for their internet access. And so... To tackle this digital inequality, I have like created take-home materials that families would come to the office and pick up and there would come instructions on how to access the content and basically work at your own pace because they couldn't attend the live sessions. What what solutions have, have you or your school have done to tackle like this inequality? So I do work in a lower socioeconomic Title I school and it is primarily Black and Hispanic families. We have very few Asian families and even fewer white families. I do know this digital inequality exists, but the students at our school site all have access to their own Chromebooks just because our district is one-to-one. And so they put into account making sure every student receives a device. So we are blessed in that. Many students frequently tell me about other electronics that they have. And like I think I said, even more than I do sometimes, which is so funny. 
So when distance learning first began, packets were only created for kinder through second grade because they were not used to using technology. They didn't have devices that they used regularly compared to third through fifth grade who had already had their devices, already had been using them the whole beginning of beginning half of the school year. So we were expected to still complete our work online. Now, this school year, we do have that same expectation, but now the the younger grades also have their own devices, so they are using it more often. I don't know how often the lower grades are making packets that they used to pass them out regularly, like you mentioned. We never had to do that, but we did have a material distribution day the day before school started. So the students came to pick up their physical textbooks and workbooks, any school supplies that they would need, their planners, binders for organization. And I think if they didn't come that day, they could still come other days. So that was so important because even in the regular school year, I'm shocked to see how many students don't even have pencil and paper at home. So we were able to give them all of those, the technology needs, but as well as non-technology resources to make sure that everyone had everything that they would need, at least in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, you're so right. I mean, even when we think of technology, we usually think of technology being uh, electronic, but even pencils are considered technology themselves. And if families don't have access to that, like uh, paper and pencils or crayons, and and that's also uh, inequality right there in itself. Mm -hmm. Um, As we wrap this episode up, is there any advice that you would give to new incoming teachers or those just even thinking about entering the educational field? It definitely takes a patient and special person to be <laughs> a teacher. I get told that often. Um, it may feel really hard right now, but it is such a rewarding career. I couldn't even imagine starting out as a teacher during a global pandemic <laughs> filled with distance or hybrid learning. So I just commend you on that alone if you want <laughs> to be a teacher. During this time, that definitely shows your heart. Just know that when you have those hard days or you're stressed out, just remember that you are making such a huge difference in the lives of your students. I still have to remind myself of that. And I've been teaching for seven years. So just know that you're not alone at all. It is a struggle for everyone. But just know that I always when I became a teacher, I remember the quote, those who can't do teach and it always bothered me so much because when you think about it, like teachers are the ones that create all other careers because all of the Mm -hmm. students grow up to do so many different things in the world. So just know that you are making a better, bigger impact than you really understand. Yeah, you're so right. Yeah, teachers are responsible for every other careers, even for other teachers. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. So this has been another episode of Teachers Care Society. I want to say thank you to today's guests, Madeline Bradburn, and most importantly, you, the listeners. See you next time. Bye.